Did you know that every time you listen to an ad on this podcast, you help cover the cost of producing Find Your Food Voice? Thank you to our sponsor, Equilibria Daily Women's Microbiome Defense. Because of them, my team and I can continue our independent podcast. Equilibria is a women-owned wellness brand with unique science-backed products that help bring your mind and back my mind and body back into harmony. EQ's Daily Women's Microbiome Defense is a three-in-one capsule that supports your digestive health and promotes gut barrier protection. It also promotes optimal vaginal pH. These probiotics were chosen because they are studied for women's health. And I love that you can subscribe. So if you find that Equilibria's Daily Women's Microbiome Defense helps you, you can subscribe so you don't have to think twice about running out and also save 25% off. I just started taking the Equilibria Daily Women's Microbiome Defense after a trip overseas that made my GI tract kind of funky. I am hoping that it helps make things just a little bit easier, easing back in. And also as a woman, as a woman in midlife, I'm always looking for ways to help with vaginal pH. If you are not in midlife yet, just be aware. It's a thing that is around the corner for you. So head to myeq.com and use code FOODVOICE for 15% off Equilibria's microbiome defense and much more. That's myeq.com and use code FOODVOICE at checkout for 15% off site-wide today. All right, let's get back to the show. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Say goodbye to the food police and hello to peace. Welcome to the Love Food Podcast, hosted by dietitian and food behavior expert, Julie Duffy Dillon. This authentically engineered series is in the form of a love letter, welcoming you to reconnect with food. Now pour a cup of coffee or a margarita and let's begin. Hi, and welcome to episode 113 of the Love Food Podcast. I am Julie Duffy Dillon, registered dietitian and partner on your food peace journey. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for connecting today. Do you know that one of the occupational hazards of being a registered dietitian is the awkward experience at social gatherings? If you're not a dietitian, you probably are wondering what the hell I'm saying. <laughs> but you know, there's this weird experience for we dietitians when we are out to dinner or at a party or just socializing in general, and we tell people what we do for a living, there's often this awkward experience. Usually the conversation goes something like this. Oh, hi, nice to meet you, Julie. What do you do for a living? I'm a registered dietitian. Oh, well, then you can help me. Or, don't look at what I'm eating. I'm so ashamed. Or, oh, you probably are the perfect eater. Those are the three, seriously, the the three examples that I usually get. I remember when I was new practicing as a dietitian, um, a colleague of mine giving me the suggestion that oftentimes if you're not in the mood to have to deal with that, 
you can just say you're a medical transcriptionist. We probably know enough about the job to be able to talk it, but usually people don't really care to learn more about it. So I have done that a few times. And there's also this interesting experience, especially as someone who identifies as a fat positive dietitian. When I get those reactions, it can be exhausting, but usually I say things like, oh, well, I'm a fat positive dietitian or I'm a non-diet dietitian and this is what I think. Or um, oftentimes I'll say I'm off the clock as well. So um, you don't need to worry about me minding your plate. It's not something that I do anyway. And there's a lot of shock and awe and confusion that happens in that kind of conversation. What I find to be the source of that, if we do get to the source of it, is this feeling, well, if if you're a non-diet dietitian or you're someone who's weight inclusive, are you just letting people be unhealthy? Honestly, that's a place that so many of us stay stuck in, that if we're helping people experience health and move away from diets, then we're letting them just squander in high blood sugar and high cholesterol. And I hope as I use those words carefully, you notice that that's really showing how black and white that is. And black and white thinking is a cognitive distortion. It's not like that. But yet it is something that so many people struggle with, including my fellow colleagues. I have a letter from someone today who's a dietitian and has had her own complicated relationship with food. And as she has gone through her own healing process, really has connected with a weight-inclusive, fat-positive, non-diet kind of approach, just like I'm using, yet feels that kind of pull. You know, am I harming by not attending to certain discussions? I am excited to share that I found an expert in exactly this, namely someone who's an expert in diabetes care, mindful eating, weight-inclusive interventions. Her name is Migret Fletcher, and she's going to help us explore some options And even if you're not a dietitian or a healthcare provider, you're going to get so much from the conversation. Before we get to this episode's letter, a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by my Fat Positive Dietitian t-shirt. Yes, I have a product that I have put together. If you do identify just like I do, if you are against fat phobia and diets and diet culture and all the oppressive sides of it, I have a shirt that's made just for you. You can get to it by going to teespring.com slash fatpositivedietitian2018. So check it out, and I can't wait to see you wearing it. If you enjoy this episode of the Love Food Podcast, I would appreciate a rating or a review. You can get to it by scrolling through the episode in Apple Podcasts right now, or you can also click on the show notes you'll see on the second paragraph a button or actually a hyperlink rather that says subscribe here or leave a rating or review in seconds. And you know, by doing this, it really helps more people find the show. So I thank you in advance for that kindness. All right, enough of all that. Let's get to this episode's letter. Dear food, there have been times when I have restricted you until I was emaciated. And there have been times when I've gorged on you until the weight returned, and then some. Perhaps this fluctuation between these two poles is why I began to obsess over you and study you. 
really study you. Today, I'm a dietitian. Positive messages about you, messages of health at every size, lots of work with intuitive eating and mindfulness help to heal our relationship. I put heal in quotes simply because we will always have setbacks, cloudy days, slip-ups where we don't see eye to eye, but those are the times where we learn and grow. I'm writing with a professional dilemma food. I enjoy sharing positive messages about you, about intuitive eating, normal eating by Karen Koenig, and health at every size with my patients. I want to help my patients heal their relationship with you. To give you some history, I used to be a bariatric dietitian. Yikes, I know. And towards the end of that part of my career, I couldn't stand going to work every day to focus on weight loss. I knew it was time to leave the practice when I was trying to convince patients to not have the surgery. Potential weight loss surgery patients are the people that need these positive messages the most. They need to hear that surgery to make their stomach smaller or to rewire their insides won't fix what's up in their head or the relationship with you. In fact, in the long run, surgery does more harm than good for most people. I see many patients three, four, five years after surgery having gained a lot of their weight back and devastated. In instances like that, I would be expected to share messages of restriction, meal replacements, more exercise, tracking calories and movement, but I found myself preaching health at every size, body acceptance, and mindful eating. I left work every day with this terrible guilt, knowing my messages were not supported by other staff. Now, I'm in a primary care setting where I have a little more flexibility, but it's still hard to stand behind my weight-neutral approach when the practice preaches weight loss. I understand why other providers think weight loss is the ticket. They think it will help with disease control and prevention. Don't get me wrong. I support health and prevention, but let's leave the weight loss out of it. Weight loss isn't sustainable. Part of my role as a dietitian is to practice medical nutrition therapy for those with diabetes, high blood pressure, lipid disorders, and other lifestyle-related conditions. I struggle between the balance of using medical nutrition therapy, intuitive eating. How do I tell a patient with diabetes to count carbohydrates for blood glucose control and to regulate insulin dosing, something imperative to health, while still, still sticking to messages of intuitive eating and an eating pattern that is free of restrictions? Food, I want people to enjoy you and to find peace with you. I want them to love their bodies and focus on health instead of weight. How do I balance all of this in such a weight-focused workplace and with people that need medical nutrition therapy? Love, help me help others. Hey there, fellow dietitian letter writer. I certainly can relate to a lot of your letter. If you're new to the Love Food Podcast, something you may not have had access to or haven't didn't know is that I started this podcast out as writing my own letter to food. And I was a concerned dietitian, confused and pissed off with all of the fat phobia that I was noticing in healthcare and the world around me. And iTunes is a stickler. It's become more of a stickler. And what they've done is that now they only allow 100 episodes to be available at a time. But if you would like to go back and listen to my own Dear Food letter, 
you can get to it on my website. It's at juliedillonrd.com slash lovefoodzero. And it's the number zero, not spelled out zero. So juliedillonrd.com slash lovefoodzero. There you can listen to my Dear Food Letter. You can also read it if that's more your thing. But I had a very kind of similar experience. I worked for just a few months working with those going through gastric bypass and saw similar things as this letter writer describes. And one of the things that I was, when I was reading your note, letter writer, you mentioned that, you know, the the surgery in the long term does more harm than good. And I totally agree because it doesn't really rewire their head. And of course, that's something that I can appreciate, but I also want to take it a step further. Gastric bypass does not rid the world of fat phobia. It doesn't cure really what the problem is because we don't need to amputate our stomachs. We don't need to fix our bodies. We need to fix this world. And as a dietitian, it's really tough to have all this kind of didactic and fat phobic based knowledge and still want to help people with their eating. (laughs) It's kind of this weird place. And so for you, Letter Writer, I am really excited for you to hear from our guest expert. I have a chance now to speak with Migret Fletcher. She's a dietitian and also someone who has worked with diabetes for a very long time and a mindful eating expert. So she is going to help us dive in with what to do about medical nutrition therapy. So if you're listening and you're like, you know what? I am not a dietitian and I don't work in healthcare. This is not for me. Please pause. Give me a second because something that you can relate to is how confusing it can feel when you work with a dietitian or a practitioner that is using intuitive eating or coming from a health at every size approach. You may feel that confusion and maybe turn it on yourself, but really I hope you can appreciate that confusion oftentimes belongs on us because we're struggling with coming to terms with our own fat phobia. And we're coming to terms with the knowledge that we have about um, nutrition, especially in the form of like a Petri dish or in a lab where things are really controlled versus the real world. You know, we're not robots and we have relationships and a life and we have pleasure from food and we get so much more from food than just blood sugar control. So I would say, hold on, because I have a feeling that Migret's information and our conversation is also going to be helping you. So let's go ahead and give Migret a call. Hello. Hey, Migret. It's Julie Duffy Dillon. How are you? I'm well. Thanks for asking. Oh, good. Well, I am so excited to connect with you. I've been watching your work on diabetes, and I am excited to connect with you about this letter because this person, I feel like, is totally struggling. And honestly, I could relate to a lot of what this person said, especially in the um, earlier parts of my uh, career as a dietitian. But first off, did you get a chance to read the letter? I did. I did. Excellent. So when you read the letter, um, you know, what's your general impression about what this person's experiencing? Well, you know, I, I always like to start off with the hoorays. So the first one is, you know, hooray for 
just kind of moving out of um, a business and a job that you didn't like. So I think that's a hooray. You know, it's so important for, you know, not just professionals, but all the listeners to really have a job that we value and feels like it meets our values because that's that's we spend a lot of time there. So that's the first hooray. And um, I definitely think the second hooray is just really acknowledging that, you know, our values are important and what we think is, you know, necessary and who we are. We want to have that reflected and have our our passions be heard and, and felt. So that's the second hooray is, you know, I love how she's really trying to help people understand um, nutrition as she sees it. So that's a second hooray. Um, but of course, like you, the empathy piece is there because, you know, we know something, but it's really hard to communicate it to others. And it's really hard to do that in a way that helps our patients and, you know, doesn't create conflict where we work. So I hear that struggle as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's for a lot of us, especially those of us who are practicing from a weight neutral perspective, totally can relate to the struggle. You know, it's a, it's a tough place to be in, but it's so important to be in. Mm, right, right. Mm-hmm. It is. And specifically when we talk about diabetes, you know, when before the invention of insulin, um, the only treatment that we had in diabetes care was to go through this very restrictive model. So the culture surrounding specifically diabetes is a culture that, you know, it, we talk about as kind of marinating in the diet culture. So um, I would say diabetes and working with people around type 2 diabetes, it's a very heavily promoted uh, diet culture environment. And so moving out of that is, it's scary. It's uphill. You're definitely not in the norm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so I never really appreciated what you just said about how before insulin was invented, restriction was really the only thing. And re- by restriction, we may um, have to also call it what some people would call it as dieting, <laughs> but, uh, mm. but like limiting intakes of certain things, right? Um mm-hmm. Be you know, using that restrictive kind of approach was the only way. And so I'm like, wow, it makes sense. On I'm not saying I'm okay with it, but it makes sense why it's so hard to let that go because that was the only way that for it so was. long. You right. Know? And, and since type 2 diabetes is genetic, when we think about um, how we learn about diabetes, well, grandma had it. Mm-hmm. And so my grandmother was born in 1898. That was way pre-insulin. And my mom was born in 1930 and insulin had just been invented. So, you know, when we think about it, you know, here I am, I'm pretty much right age-wise, right when a lot of people are diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. So if I think back and I and I go, well, my grandmother or my mother, I'm really looking at a time frame where insulin might have just been invented or might not have been invented. Mm-hmm. So because it runs in the families, we have stories from our our ancestors and those stories are most likely going to be stories of restriction. Yeah, yeah, and our our body our body's going to remember that for sure. Um, and mm. you know, not everyone listening is a dietitian or mm. um, a health practitioner like this letter writer. And yet, I feel like so many of us, no matter you know if we are a dietitian or not, can appreciate that kind of struggle. You know, because not all of us is teaching eating or nutrition therapy, but yet that feeling of like, if, well, if I'm not restricting, 
or limiting something, then I'm hurting myself with diabetes. And I, that's sort of what I was hearing from this person too, is like, like so, so much fear that she was maybe not trusting it. And some of it is because I, I would gather because of her own story with food, her own lived experience. And, and then also because of just, like you said, like how the, that's a part of diabetes history and diabetes care. So it's, it hasn't, it hasn't let go of that yet, you know? Right. Right. And, and the fear piece, it does take us a moment to pause and really turn around saying, why am I afraid of nourishing the body? What could possibly harm my body if I nourish it? So that's always the question I ask, like you're afraid to nourish your body, to give it the nutrients and the energy that it needs. And when I ask that question, not just of my patients, but of providers, they go, well, no, I'm not afraid of nourishing the body. So, and that's what really, um, that's what we're about. That's what we're teaching. And when we look at it from a health at every size, we're teaching everybody how to nourish their body. And what Joe needs is different than what Barbara needs. It's different than what Juan needs. It's different than, you know, the neighbor down the way. Every body is unique and every body needs to have nutrition, good nutrition and enough energy. So we're not tired or we're not grumpy. We need enough energy so we can function. And and that's about nourishing. It's not about restricting. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, yeah. And I, I feel like so many people have this mentality, if you're not restricting, then it's um, a bazillion amount of food and calories, you know? And I love how you're saying that because that just sounds like uh, self-care ba- in a ba- very basic sense. Like you're nourishing the body. Why are we, why are we so afraid of that? And um, I would gather it's probably because of this like dichotomy we've kind of set up, you know, with like diet culture that if we're not pursuing weight loss, then we're doing the opposite. And um, really, it's just like, no, we're just taking care of ourselves. And, yes. um, you know, what, what do you think, what do you, why are we so afraid of nourishing ourselves? Mm. And that, that's a really great question. And it takes a lot to unpack that. So no one wants to be different. So I think that's the first thing. And when we meet people, everyone wants to talk about like the newest diet that they're on. So we all are marinating in a diet culture. And then people who have diabetes really kind of, they're they're in a pressure cooker of diet culture. I mean, it's just so much more. And it's, as we talked about, the history Um, We talk about how there's a lot of blame and shame around diabetes. Diabetes isn't a a disease. It hasn't been. People don't talk about how you don't cause diabetes. People have been told you cause diabetes. And I'm I'm like, it's so far from the truth. You know, it's a genetic condition. um, And there's so many factors around it. And, And people are, there's so much misinformation about this chronic disease. And my big piece I always want to communicate is there is no cure for type 2 diabetes. There's no cure for type 1. And so that means that whenever anybody gets diagnosed with this disease, we need to be very compassionate to them because they will have it for the rest of their lives. And there is just no place in that sentence to blame or shame them. No one asks for this. 
No one turned around and said, oh, today I think I want to get diabetes. That is not what's happening. It's a genetic condition that's very complex. And we, medical community, friends, family, if somebody says, you know, my blood sugars are elevated, ask, how can I help you? Hmm. Don't Mm -hmm. tell them, oh, I heard if you do this or you cut out that, that's not what they need. They don't need advice. They need listening. They need support. And they need to understand what the heck did he do is going on because this is just so emotionally challenging. It's a roller coaster. And mm-hmm. most of the time when people go on a roller coaster, they close their eyes and they just hope to gosh it's going to end. And that's ignoring the diabetes. That's pretending it's not there. That's denial. And yeah. that makes it worse. Totally, so. totally. I, I um, appreciate what you said about how um, a person doesn't didn't cause their diabetes. I, I hope a listener that is experiencing diabetes really can hear that and let that just sit there and appreciate that they didn't cause it. And I, I really, um, I, I feel some warm fuzzies when I was hearing you say that because of the work I do with women affected by polycystic ovarian syndrome. I feel like they, who also oftentimes get diabetes, but mm. um, who often will be told that they cause the PCOS. And so, yeah, no, there's, it's genetic. <laughs> like, like let's, let's stop the shame. And, you know, so if for this letter writer or for anyone who has a similar kind of feeling of being at, at a fork in the road, <laughs> you know, um, what would you say are some first steps that you'd recommend? Well, you know, obviously the f- first one is just really recognizing the culture um, that surrounds diabetes. And and it is going to be hard for us to turn around and say, you know what, I reject restriction and I embrace nourishing. And I have to really find out what that means for me to nourish my body because so many of us don't know. And that I think is a journey. It's an awesome journey. And I think it's a great journey just to start with as I am going to nourish my body now. I'm not going to try to make it smaller. I'm not going to try to make it bigger. I'm just going to try to nourish it, whatever that means. And there are a lot of people that have diabetes that really need to start eating more. And they start, they may find their weight shifting upward. And there are a lot of people with diabetes that may choose to eat less and they may find their weight shifting differently as a result of that. And and it may shift down. It may not shift at all. They may gain weight. That's the whole piece. When we look at weight, it doesn't really tell us anything. It just, it's just such a an unhelpful um, measure. What is a good measure is, you know, am I nourishing my body? Am I eating foods that have nutrition? Am I feeling like I'm having energy in the beginning, in the middle, at the end of the day? You know, am I having foods that I enjoy? That means things like dessert. Am I including that in my diet? Because that's, we're trying to go for sustainability. Um, So really focusing in on nourishing, enjoying your eating. So that would be the first step. And really for health professionals, that would be the first step to talk to our clients about what are we really trying to accomplish here? We're trying to accomplish a really balanced eating plan that you enjoy doing for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I am still holding on to what you said earlier about, you know, nourishing your body. And I think that's just such an important, um, piece of this. And it, you know, to me, it just sounds like 
such an uh, important distinction. And I think for this letter writer in particular, I have a feeling it's going to help lead her to where she's wanting to go anyway and give Mm. her some more mojo, basically, you know, to help Mm. her believe in it more. And um, because you and I know she's not doing it wrong, you know, and and, um, because restriction and pursuing weight loss, like those are things that we've seen really harm people and also be futile, you know, in any way. So, um, yeah, we are behind you, letter writer, for sure. You know, keep going yeah. with it. So uh, we have something as a part of this show called the Food Peace Syllabus. And if you're new to the podcast, it's a collection of books and blog posts and anything under the sun that helps to further cultivate a um, positive and uh, relationship with food in your body. And if you would like access to the latest copy of the Food Peace Syllabus, you just go to juliedillonrd.com and you can get your la- the latest copy. So is there something that you would like to add to it? Oh, I would actually. So I created two documents. One is for um, the consumer. So if you have a personal experience with diabetes, I do have a personal approach to embracing a weight neutral um, care for people with type 2 diabetes. And if you're a professional, like the letter writer, I have a professional guide for embracing a weight neutral approach for type 2 diabetes. So I have two different um, guidebooks. And for consumers or professionals, uh, I did write a book with Dr. Michelle May called Eat What You Love, Love What You Eat with Diabetes. And that's a comprehensive book um, that just kind of goes through all aspects of diabetes care. And uh, when I have consumers read it, they think, oh, this really clarified how I can nourish my body. Like, what is that process? And professionals read it and they go, oh, yeah, I could talk about a couple of points and direct people to that um, book. And that would really help them kind of start this whole unpacking process about how do I nourish my body? Oh, good. Well, I will put links to all those in the show notes. And um, I love that book that you did with Michelle May. I forgot about it. Mm. (laughs) I, I can't believe I forgot about it because it was so important for me to read. So thank you for putting it on there for sure. And like I said, we'll put links to everything in the show notes. And if if someone wants to find out more about your work or get to know more about you, is there an easy way for them to do that? There is. My website is my first name, Migrit. Uh, and so it's just migrit.com. And uh, if you go there, you and you're a professional, um, I have a lot of resources there. So um, my Clients are uh, professionals, um, so the only consumer book that I have is the book Eat What You Love, Love What You Eat with Diabetes, um, but I do work a lot with professionals to, to help people like this letter writer uh, really resolve how to nourish and move away from restriction. Well, letter writer, I hope you got some good information to help you to decide your next best steps, and do remember that Magrette and I, we really are behind you. We believe in the work you're doing and we totally appreciate the tension you're feeling right now and can really imagine that fork in the road because we've been there ourselves. So stay with it. Anyone listening who's not a healthcare provider but appreciates that kind of argument or experience, same thing. You know, I really hope that you're able to remember that Yes, you deserve. There is a privilege in nourishing yourself. You know, you, no matter what your body size is, need to eat enough food. And I always remember Summer Summer Inanen, who says, 
grown-ass women need more food than they think. It's one of my favorite, favorite quotes, because remember that. We need more than we think. We don't need to be in this crazy spiral of restriction, aka diet culture. We need to nourish our body. So I see food has written back. Before we get to that, let a writer stay in touch. Let us know how things are going. And this episode of the Love Food Podcast was brought to you by my Fat Positive Dietitian t-shirt. You can get to it at teespring.com slash fatpositivedietitian2018. All right. I see food is written back, like I said, and let's get to it. But until then, take care. Dear, help me help others. We have had a tough relationship that has led you away from diet culture and towards food peace. We food wish you didn't struggle, yet has brought you to a place to help others heal. Remember, we all deserve to nourish our bodies, and this includes the permission for enough and pleasure. Focusing on compassion, permission, health, and pleasure is sustainable. It is scientifically sound. When this is the foundation to your dietetics practice and your own life, you will feel the energizing effects of food peace. Love food. Thank you for listening. I am Julie Duffy Dillon, and this is a Love Food Podcast. Do you want access to more food peace? Jump on over to my website and join my email list. There, I share exclusive content that I don't share anywhere else. Get access to these tips and strategies by going to juliedillonrd.com forward slash sign up. And I look forward to seeing you here next week for another episode of the Love Food Podcast. Take care. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.